0: Welcome to "It's a Nice Place to Brew" with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Happy New Year and hello! Hello. It's been a little while. It's good to be back, though.
1: Yeah, looking at a uh, 2016 with a whole new perspective.
0: Yes, it is. We'll uh, we'll cover many of these things throughout the show today. Anyway, this is our first uh, first show of the year. I'm Jason. I'm George. And we are a nice place to brew. Uh, we, are, uh, we are home brewers from, the, uh, from near, uh, near the Chicago area. We uh, talk about all things beer and beer making, as our intro says. Uh, for those of you who have not heard our show before, welcome. We're glad you're here and hope to uh, touch base with you in the, in the future through our, uh, through our social media or through the various events that we'll talk about uh, throughout uh, the things that we do. And uh, yeah, this is a, a little show where we talk about the things we do, the things we want to do, and uh, a lot of stuff in between. We've got a, we're going to go a little bit off format from our uh, from our normal show today. You'll, we'll still keep our uh, first segment, other brews reviewed, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna go into a uh, discussion for uh, for Act Two that's going to carry us throughout the show. And it's going to be uh, going to be different from uh, from our previous episodes, but uh, stick with us. I think you'll uh, there's some there's some good uh, good information there. I think you'll find valuable. So, George, what's on your mind today?
1: You know, we're looking at this. At, you know, if you guys have followed us on social media, you know that we moved the uh, the brewery for uh, a nice place to brew to a new location. We're building that out encountering some challenges along with that, but uh, it's coming together pretty nicely and we'll continue to do so as things thaw out a little bit and we're able to do a little bit more work in, in that area. So,
0: Yeah, that just became a factor today when you're talking about the ice.
1: Yeah, we went to fill a keg and I had sanitized water in it and I went out to grab the keg to dump out the water so we could put the... Um, the Scotch ale we made in it and the sanitized water was frozen. (laughs) So (laughs) I brought that inside waiting for that to thaw so we can transfer that over.
0: So unfortunately that means no beer in a keg today. No. So that will have to have to wait for a little while.
1: Yeah. Hopefully it'll be thawed out sometime tomorrow and we can get that moved over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Topic for a later show is uh, the last couple of brews that we've made. Uh, we had a um, we had a little dry spell where we hadn't brewed much in a while uh, fortunately that dry spell has thawed out yeah. <laughs> worst pun ever I apologize for I do t- <laughs> I do
1: too jeez <laughs> Hit on his yeah, behalf <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's
0: it's one thing to to try to keep a keep a podcast going forward but apparently I'm not one for jokes <laughs> as evidence here anyway what was I saying
1: our dry spell is thawed out yes yes
0: and we are back to brewing back to what we're supposed to be doing yeah which is making beer uh yeah so uh, it's and we're making plans for late uh for later projects later in the year uh it's starting to fill up nicely mm-hmm. and i'm feeling very good about it
1: i am too we're gonna do some last last year we did a whole lot of Trying different styles. Yep. And This year we're going to take those, what those lessons learned, and do some experimentation um, inside those styles, trying to either hit those styles more accurately or have some fun with it. Uh, in some cases, both, if we can.
0: Yep. Yep. As ev- evidenced, especially by the by the next one we're talking about doing. Yeah. I tell you, I, I'm. I know I'm. I'm teasing it here, but I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah. No, it'd be good. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so let's uh, let's move into our first segment. Our first uh, segment is other brews reviewed. Um, as beer makers, we're also beer fans, so we have an opportunity here to talk about beers that we recently had, which we particularly enjoyed or particularly didn't enjoy. And um, we'll just uh, we're going to dive right in. You want to start us off with the first one?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm going to start with a one called Bellhaven Scottish Ale. Um, Bellhaven is actually a, a brewery out of that out of that area, and they make a very, very good Scotch, Scottish slash Scotch ale if you ever want to try it. Um, it is 3.9 ABV. Um, it, it, well, actually, there's two different kinds, 3.9 and 5.2. If you can find the 5.2, I would recommend that more as it's got a little bit more kick to it. Um, But, you know, you're not looking at something that's going to knock you on your ass. It's going to be sessionable. It's going to be easy drinking. It has a very nice red ruby color to it and very kind of almost creamy while at the same time being nutty.
0: Tell me again what style this was. It's a Scotch Ale. Scotch Ale. Okay. All right.
1: So the the head you have on it is, is a little bit more creamy in texture. But the beer itself is a little bit more nutty, and those two flavors kind of come together nicely, and and just uh, it make for a very good, very smooth beer.
0: And even at five percent, that's a little bit low on the spectrum for a Scotch ale.
1: Absolutely, it is. But you know, it, you don't often find like a sessionable Scotch ale. But that's it, true. You know, that's true. this yeah. is this is in a field where it's not. You know not really a well-known thing it's 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 a very striking example of it
0: very good very good that sounds good did, did you find that around here in a at a retail store or did you find it in a restaurant
1: i found that at uh beer market at one of my many in um excursions out to beer market
0: that might accelerate my next trip out to beer market because <laughs> that does sound really good no i am a scotch ale fan as well and uh yeah, the the ones that I that I've had recently that have all come to mind have been seven percent ABV or above. Right. So the idea of having a sessionable one, I like the sound of that. Yeah. So thank you. Well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go from one sessionable uh, uh, brew reviewed to one that's not sessionable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get this started, I wanna I wanna send a special hello to our friends at Metal Monkey Brewing. Uh, who just recently opened their brewing out of uh, Romeoville, Illinois? Uh, their opening, which happened just uh, just a couple weeks ago from the time of this recording, uh, was a huge, huge success. Uh, tons of people came out. The reception was extremely good. Couldn't couldn't be happier for the guys. Um, if you have a chance to check them out, um, Metal Monkey Brewing in uh, in Romeoville, Illinois. They're all over social media. They have a website. Check them out. You'll be glad you did. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, the first uh, uh, beer that I had from Metal Monkey Brewing. This is going back a ways, and I've had I've been fortunate enough to have different incarnations of this beer, and, I, and I've seen it evolve, and I'm I'm quite. Uh, it's one of it's one of my favorite beers anywhere, and I'm not saying that just because I, just because I know the the guys that made it. But th- this really is a phenomenal beer. They uh, it's and it's one of their flagship beers. It's called Funky Mucker. Have fun with that name. Funky Mucker is a chocolate peanut butter Russian Imperial Stout, which on a typical batch will clock in with an ABV between nine and eleven percent. It is a strong, strong stout. Um, they have really per- perfected this recipe, though. They're, it's a perfect balance of chocolate and peanut butter. It's it's just delicious. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's just a just a delicious beer, and it's at nine at nine eleven percent. Like I was saying before, it's quite far from sessionable, but try it; you'll
1: really be glad you did. You said you caught a glimpse of the recipe, and and not only is it. Strong, but it's also kind of complicated.
0: It's very complicated. <laughs> I, I, I can't say the details on there because I didn't look closely enough uh, at it, but um, the, um, the number of elements that made up this recipe was way more than I ever would have expected. And to be honest, way more than any recipe that I've ever put together or George's put together, too. Which is interesting. And I'm not quite sure, maybe this is a good discussion point. I'm not sure what to make of that. Am I are we not being um, ambitious enough with our recipes? or are, are they are they just so well versed at what they do that they can confident, confidently put together such a dynamic recipe like that? I think it's a matter of what you want to do.
1: They they needed a more complicated recipe because they're trying to capture more complicated flavors. True. A lot of what we were trying to do, especially last year, is capture more of a specific style than uh, complicated texture or taste on the palate and whatnot. So, but Funky Mucker it has that has those complexities that you're probably going to have to have a more complex recipe to achieve. That's true. I mean, I doubt That's that true. just throwing in some cocoa nibs and peanut butter powder is going to do the trick. You're going to have to, you know, incorporate some, you know, a bunch of different subtle offshoot flavors of malts and, and hops and stuff to to complement that.
0: Good point. Good point. I'd, I'd love to see that debated on on uh, on social media. How do you feel about? Uh, less dynamic versus more dynamic type recipes. And I think there's an argument to be made in both directions because there's some very, very good beers out there that are very simple. You know, they have you know, one to three grains and one or two different hops. And then you have ones like Funky Mucker that probably have I, 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 I'm making up a number here, but call it a dozen or more different elements to it.
1: Well, I mean, we made we've made some fairly complicated ones ourselves. If you, if you take into account The grains, the hops, the adjuncts, and the yeast—we've made ones that have upwards of ten ingredients. Yeah, Um, our scotch ale comes to mind, and um, we made one. I think it was the stout last year. Had you know, if you take, especially if you take into account the different spices and whatnot we put in as well, has a number of different
0: uh, elements in it as well. So that's a fair point. Maybe I didn't give enough consideration to that. And the brown ale. Brown ale was, was in was in that, that category had a, too. Had a bunch
1: in yeah. there, but but at, on the same token, we made a beer that had, I guess, if you have to take into account the adjuncts uh, and everything, three, four ingredients with our pilsner, right? Because one grain, one hop, one yeast, and some whirlflock,
0: and that was it. Let's throw out the episode number on that. We we did a we did a very good episode where we talked about that that pilsner recipe that you're talking about. That was one where we kind of broke some cardinal rules of beer making because there's a lot of people that will say uh, a Pilsner ale. Uh, no, that's <laughs> Pilsner that ale. Is, there's no such thing as that. Yeah, for more on that brew, check out episode four. It's titled Classic Pilsner. Uh, as, as George was saying, one uh, one grain, one hop, one yeast— as basic of a recipe as you'll ever come across
1: right and it was a pretty stellar recipe you know i mean yeah you had a nice crisp clean flavor uh the important part there was just accuracy making sure that we're hitting all the different buttons as far as the mash and the boil and everything so the flavor could come out as clean as it did yeah yeah so
0: yeah good good topic all right so you want to want to go into your second one yep second one new brewery new brewery here in uh,
1: Downers Grove called Alter Brewing, and it is a, you know, kind of coming up and, and making a name for itself in the area. They have a lot of IPAs, which I'm not a huge fan of, to be honest. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm waiting for this whole IPA craze to die down a little bit, <laughs> and people to start appreciating appreciate some more <laughs> different beers. Um, but, that said, they did do a golden ale, that which they called Centerline, it's quite good. Uh, it is 6.2 ABV, so just shy of sessionable, 35 IBU, so not super aggressive in the hoppy, and just a good, solid golden ale, um, so some malty characteristics, you get a little bit of that bitterness, but a lot more of the malty characteristics. And it's very light on the palate. It's not a heavy beer at all. Good deal. Yeah. So those guys, if you're in the area, they're on Wisconsin near Belmont, and they're worth checking out. They're they're starting to make some some good stuff.
0: It's also worth uh, uh, pointing out. It's it's a really nice place just by itself. The oh be- yeah. The beers are, are good as well. It's also just worth going because it's a very very comfortable very nice place They've, they they did really well uh setting that place up
1: they have something that a lot of tap rooms have overlooked and they have the you know like the kind of industrial feel that you'll get in a lot of them they have the open area that you can see into the brewery area but then once you're in the tap room they have seats yeah and that's just like I don't know why more places don't have
0: that. That's yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> um, true.
1: But you know, it, it's an it's a good place to go. I, I walk by it every day when I am coming home from work, so every now and again, you know, you just turn the corner and you go get a beer. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> it's like I said, it's worth uh, it's worth checking out if you guys are in the area. Yeah,
0: Alter Brewing in Downers Grove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, my next one is a good name to this one. This is a, this is a beer called Fist City. I just had this beer for the first time last night, and I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about it. This is made by Revolution Brewing out of Chicago, Illinois. A little bit about the recipe, which I just found online just a second ago. There is five different hops in this recipe. Centennial, Citra, Chinook, Cascade, and Crystal make up this American Pale Ale that comes in at 5.5% ABV. Website Beer Advocate uh, gives a description: This is a beer that is meant to be extremely drinkable for those who love hops. I could not come up with a better description for this beer if I tried. <laughs> just well, well done, Beer Advocate. You you did real real well with this one. Uh, th- this th- this beer really is just that. It's a it's a very drinkable but very hoppy uh, type beer. Um, I had. Um, I had this beer at a restaurant, um a popular chain restaurant that's that's famous for wings. Uh you can do the math at what uh, what place that was. Uh <laughs> and uh yeah, it, and it uh, it went with the food very well. Um like George, I am not always the uh the biggest fan of IPAs. I've come around a little bit over the last year or two. I'm starting to enjoy them a little bit more. Um I think this is a good um uh pale L type drink or uh i think it's a good bitter beer for people that wouldn't naturally gravitate to bitter beers oh okay. and if you have something on the side such as food i think this is a solid choice
1: does the does it um the, the maltiness of it kind of balance the hops at all because that's what i'm i'm that's the thing about ipas that are kind of like okay enough is that you know there's not enough balance to it and it's all hop
0: forward i i, I would say that th- this one fits that i think it's much more hop forward the the maltiness is very mild okay so all right yeah so still, yeah. s- still i i I, uh, I enjoyed it it was a good one so well done revolution brewing
1: if you're in a popular wing place with something to eat and candy <laughs> around i mean i'm just assuming you know then you know i see I that could be good <laughs> all right so, what you- <laughs> so, my last one is a little bit of a departure from that, and it is uh, from a brewery that we both enjoy, is Breckenridge Brewery out of Colorado. Oh, yes. So, they take that wonderful Colorado water and mix it up into this lovely multi concoction called uh, their Christmas Ale, Breckenridge Christmas Ale. Uh, it's over 7% alcohol, I think when I had it it was 8%, and... It is very caramel and chocolate forward and has a a good mixture of spices. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what spices are in there, but I could have swore I I taste um, nutmeg and cinnamon in there. Nice. And it's just a very good, very solid, very dark um, ale that that you definitely should try out. Uh, Average ABV is 7.1, IBU is 22, so really you're not going to get a whole lot of hop character. It's very, very um, supplanted by the maltiness and the spices. Yeah. Um, And if you're ever out on, if you have a a bottle or two of it and you're out on uh, Breckenridge's site, I just noticed that they have uh, Christmas Ale Pork Chops, a (laughs) recipe up there that you can try out, which sound pretty delicious to me.
0: So so how have they framed that? This is a good uh, good food that pairs with this beer?
1: Oh, no, negative. This is a recipe that you use the Christmas oh, ale to make pork chops. okay. So, but like I said. Huh, that sounds, does sound really it sounds good. sounds really good to me. Wow. I mean, you have to sacrifice two cups of Christmas ale to
0: it, but. If you buy, you know, a six or 12 pack, <laughs> then you'll have plenty left over. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, but, yeah, so the sp- between
1: the different spices that are in it and the malt character um, and, you know, once you have one or two, the, the alcohol starts to get to you, too. It's just a very,
0: very solid beer. You know, maybe I just didn't think of it in years past, but this is really the first uh, – this past uh, Christmas season was really the first time that I've prominently seen Christmas beers or at least – um, beers that kind of branded themselves as holiday or Christmas beers and i I found a lot of them to be pretty good yeah I think a, a common thread among many of them is they're very sweet oh um, yeah. I think you could draw in uh different common threads if you i only I only had a couple of them but I think there's uh I think there's common threads throughout ones that brand themselves that way
1: yeah so um you know it's there's there's a lot you can do with that there's different spices and I mean the spice ranges are just enormous so it all depends on what you want to put in there right right yeah but yeah so we'll just have to keep a lookout for next year and see if we can't discover
0: some more of them yeah yeah we'll do for sure all right my last uh my my third beer uh this is a beer called out of your gorge pumpkin porter uh it's made by red hooks brewery out of woodendale washington I found this at a local retail store around here, and I've seen it at a few different retail stores um, around the area since. I made mention of this to a couple of people, and uh, I somewhat controversially said, I thought this was a pretty good beer. And just based on the description of this beer and knowing my taste buds, I really couldn't go wrong with this one because it's a pumpkin beer, and I'm a huge pumpkin everything fan, and it's a porter, and I'm a and, and Porter being a darker beer, darker beers are definitely my go-to. So this one fit my palate pretty much to a T. Um, it's not a perfect beer, but enough. There's enough there that I liked that uh, that I enjoyed. Um, I'm not sure what the ratings are online. I didn't didn't research it too much, but uh, I'll just uh, I'll just leave it at that. This is a beer that worked for me.
1: Yeah, well, you are a fan of the pumpkin beers. Exactly, exactly. So, and you're right, that would be a controversial remark in a bunch of circles that we know because, yeah, there are some that feel pumpkins do not belong in beer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking of the uh posts that we're going to get when this when we release this episode (laughs) because you know they're you know they're not going to be quiet about that. You know, that's (laughs) that's probably true, Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, I'll uh I'll make mention of what I've got here in my hand. Uh, I am drinking a beer called Domaine Dupage, which is made by Two Brothers Brewing. It's made locally around here. Their uh, main locations in Warrenville, Illinois, and they also have a large, large brewery over in Aurora. Um, this is a this is solid beer. It's I, I think this is one of their flagships. It's classified as a f- uh, French country ale, and uh, I enjoy it. So, cheers what my uh,
1: grandfather refer- refers to as that French beer when he's out here and that's uh, that
0: French beer that French beer yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I can't remember the name of it but he remembers it's that French beer so.
0: <laughs> yeah if you're ever around Aurora it's it's a good place to have a drink and they've got some really good food too. yeah the roundhouse is a really good place to go to yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Um, mine is flying dog half of and oh in heat half of and um and it's it's pretty good it's um 4.7 percent um and got some of the characteristics that you'd expect from a vice very uh wheat forward okay and uh, yeah pretty good
0: good deal i think this is the first show where we've been drinking beer that's not ours
1: I know, and that has to stop.
0: Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> and the only reason for this, is, as we alluded to before, is we had a short uh, dry spell where we were not brewing much. Well, right. those days are behind us, and uh, we're back, and next show definitely will be nothing but a nice place to brew beer. As it should. Exactly. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with segment two. And uh, just to tease the topic here, we are going to talk about um, – we're going to talk about the very beginnings of becoming a home brewer and things to think about and things to do. And uh, George and I can speak to this because we just started this about uh, about a year and a half ago. And there's, there's many people just uh, that uh, fell into the hobby just the same way we did or are kind of on the fence about considering it. Um, we're going to put out some information that, that we learned along the way that I think uh, can be of, of value for a, lot, for, for a lot of people going into it. So we'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason. I'm George, and we're going into segment two, and we're going to talk about um, the beginnings of home brewing and the home brewing hobby, and some kind of th- things that we found along the way that we think uh, might be valuable. So, I guess to start this off, let's let's go back to the beginning for from how uh, for how you and I first fell into this, right. So I think I think the beginning is is true for I think the very first point is true for everybody. You enjoy drinking beer. You have probably some styles that you naturally gravitate to. Um, you su- you probably start to notice the different uh, the different flavorings or certain different characteristics in different beers, and you may find yourself thinking. If this one thing was different, or maybe if there was one added ingredient, this could be a very different beer, or maybe even a uh, a better beer. And I think that's a I think that's a common mentality that leads people to thinking I can I can make beer that's that's as good, if not better, than some of the other beers that, that, that you've had.
1: Huh? So that's what you were
0: thinking in the beginning, huh? Uh, I, I think that's a common thought, but I mean, all right. But I mean, I, I think this. I think the thoughts begin with. The taste palette,
1: Yeah. No, mine was, hey, I think I can do that. <laughs> it
0: was, that, much, that, that was, that much,
1: was it? much more simple
0: than that. <laughs> it was just, hey, I think I can do that. But, so. can, but can you at least relate to the idea that, oh, absolutely. that you've had one beer that was just a little bit off? Not a, li- not a lot off, but just maybe one little characteristic that was just not quite right.
1: Yeah, no, That that's very true. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think we've all had that. But yeah, so... For me, it was, I've always been somewhat crafty and somewhat creative in nature and and haven't
0: really. He's being modest, folks. (laughs) He's he's actually very, very good on the creative front. Uh,
1: Moving along, I hadn't found a really good outlet that, I mean, I have an interest in writing, but not terribly good at it. I have an interest in music, but not terribly good at it. So, you know, with. The brewing it kind of was something that I could look at and say I understand the math and science of this and I think I can do that so that's kind of where where I went with uh with that so that was kind of my genesis so once you have that then you say so I want to homebrew now what okay so that's kind of where we're going is now what now what what do you do
0: right right I think our first step, once we found ourselves asking that same question, th- where it was, I want to brew, now what? Our f- our first step forward beyond that was finding kits. Yeah. Where we found um, different things of uh, to purchase, where it's pretty much an all-in-one uh, set, where it kind of takes you from start to finish, uh, from... The first point of uh, of brewing to having having your finished product. Um, there's many different uh, brands out there that that make things like this. Um, they're classified and in, in th- we can this this would be a good point because I think this is where most people start. Uh, the term extract. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've we've we talked on previous shows about extract versus all all grain. We have, and extract is really kind of the first stepping stone of beer making for for most people at this stage.
1: Yeah, so Jason wasn't actually not around for our, my very first foray into beer making. That's and true. It was a extract kit to the extreme. It was a basically pre made wort with the hops already in it and a yeast packet essentially taped to the top of it and i made that with another friend of ours and added the water to it essentially diluted the wort boiled it put it in the fermenter pitched the yeast bottled it up in these plastic pet bottles and it was terrible
0: i remember there was carbon tablets that were, that were added to uh, added to those bottles once the beer went in. I do not think
1: that was the problem, though, because those did carbonate up very well. It just tasted like terrible, terrible beer. <laughs> 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 so um, that I, I, you know, but that's one thing I think we have to point out here is that when you're starting out, you're probably going to dump more than one batch down the drain.
0: That is true. It may not be the first batch, may not be the second batch, but you're right. At some point, you're going to have a batch that just doesn't go right. Right. And I think it's important to not stray away from that and not let that uh, let that discourage
1: anybody. Absolutely. I, it did discourage me for a while. Okay. Because then, you know, you get that, maybe I can't do this kind of thought going through your head. And once I got over that got a better kit because the one that we got was kind of not great got a better kit and we read through it read you know, i did some reading about how it works and whatnot and then we did another take and i added in jason which is probably the the, the key element here
0: and <laughs> you're too kind the, thank you
1: <laughs> the next batch we did was actually very good so where do you start you, you got to start with some equipment right you got to start, when you're doing extract kits, you need a pot that can hold at least about three gallons of water. Because, or more,
0: depending on what the capacity of the of the kit says.
1: Or more. Typically, though, it, in these kits, you're going to get a five-gallon kit. And so what it does when you're boiling up the wort is you boil up between two and two and a half gallons of water in, in, when you're making the wort. You add the hops, you do all that, you add that to the fermenter, and then you add more water to get up to the five gallons. That's how most of these kits work. So you're gonna need a pot. You're gonna need a uh, a long spoon to be able to stir and kick down the and add the ingredients and things like that. Um, and then you're gonna need you're gonna need yourself a fermenter. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people use five gallon pails. Uh, that's what a lot of the kits use. You can get glass fermenters. You can get plastic fermenters. There's a uh, bunch of different things you can do.
0: Let's not forget um, uh, cylinders and mm-hmm. hydrometers. That's true. Which will give you your uh, your alcohol readings, uh, your original gravity and final gravity. Those become key terms early on in the brewing process. They do. Because everything really centers around your results in, in those two categories.
1: Right. Um, and then, you know, you're going to need um, some testing equipment, like Jason said, and, and funneling equipment. If you're, especially if you are using a glass fermenter with a small opening, you're going to want to funnel to be able to capture the hops as they're going over so you don't get them into your fermenter as well. Uh, for a couple of different reasons, it can change the flavor, and it's a whole bunch of garbage settled down at the bottom of your fermenter as well. Um, True. And then, really, honestly, the last thing you'll need. Uh, other than bottles, is an airlock, is you need a way to let the CO2 escape from the fermenter without adding new oxygen in. and a let's, air... let's
0: rewind real quick. Okay. Um, the important thing to know about, about that part right there is oxygen exposure for the liquid. Once you've finished your boil and you've added your yeast, oxygen is your enemy. Yes. Y- yeah, anything... Any any container that you put uh, that you put the liquid into must be both sanitized and airtight. Those are important. Those are important things. And if you if you veer away from those two things, your beer is going to suffer. No question.
1: Absolutely. But airtight should not mean that nothing can escape because as yeast goes, it, it creates alcohol by eating up the sugars. Right. But it also, as a byproduct, creates CO two create co2 gas right so one of the things that it'll do if you have a completely sealed container is it will pre-carbonate your beer um but it will also blow up your your fermenter if you have a truly sealed container that gas will build up because it has a bigger volume than regular air and it will build up inside there and blow the top off of your fermenter right and then trust me that creates a pretty big mess Um, (laughs) that
0: it does so just because anybody who's seen an active fermentation knows just how intense it is yeah you know i mean the action within the container that it's that it's put in is is massive and without without some kind of outlet for that you basically have a volcano on your hands right so what you have with an airlock is a
1: device that will allow the um, CO two to bubble out, but it th- has a water barrier uh-huh. to so that the the oxygen cannot follow that conduit back into the fermenter, mm-hmm. and it just bubbles that CO two out as you're as you're going. So it will, um, you know, keep that airtight seal, but allow that excess gas to escape.
0: Right, right. So, not all grain yet. No, no, no. No, no.
1: You want to do a couple of them as the as uh, as an extract kit. Test out a couple different styles. Find out what you like to do. Um, because there's going to be some styles of beer that you're just not going to enjoy. Right. And there's no reason that you should make a beer that you're not going to enjoy.
0: Right. At this point, too, it's also important to look around at at other resources and just kind of expand your knowledge base. Uh, you can take a look at one of our earlier episodes where we talked about reading materials mm-hmm. and websites and videos like that. I, I've, I would say, I would quickly say that it's very important to uh, explore those um, absolutely and absorb everything you can. Yeah, I mean, YouTube is
1: your friend, right? Um, there's a book called How to Brew that is phenomenal, and it was written back in like the. 60s or 70s so it's kind of super dry and black and white and everything but it is phenomenal in telling you what you need to know about brewing and you know just know that what you're doing is a chemical process is a scientific reaction so it's if things aren't perfect it's not going to always come out correctly and you have to
0: be okay with that that's that's perfectly said that it is it is very much a scientific process yeah
1: but that said, you don't have to know all the different reactions. Like, I can tell you what's going on in there. Like, the yeast is eating the sugars, is creating CO2 and alcohol, which is how we ferment beer. But there's a difference between unfermentable and fermentable sugars that you'll learn about. There's a difference between um, secondary and adjunct um Adjuncts that go into there that you'll learn about, and I can't tell you all the different scientific reasons why one sugar is fermentable and one is not. But you have to, you know, you know that those things exist, and you'll know that as you're adding those things in, um, you'll start to realize why you're adding in candy sugar or why you're adding in um, specialty grains and things like that. So,
0: do you think it would be helpful if maybe we colored in? a brew day from start to finish sure let's 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 do that so let's let's paint in the scenario here you've got an extract kit you've got your kettle you've got your water you've got your uh thermometer uh and you're and you're ready to go Mm -hmm. so uh the first thing is first thing is have all your stuff at at arm's length have your hops in a fridge somewhere have your yeast in a in a fridge somewhere um have a beer in hand (laughs) because it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer it does (laughs) (laughs) okay and uh the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna heat up water yes uh usually about
1: one and a half to two gallons of water right and then the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna add in your um your extract Right, your, Usually your liquid extract, you know, right. which is kind of like a syrup molasses. Right. And so the, the point of this, you're going to add it into the, the water that you've warmed up, and you're going to dissolve and, and saturate that liquid with this syrup.
0: Right. So what you're basically left with is a very dense, sugar-filled liquid mm-hmm. that you're going to boil. Right.
1: When you start to get to the boil, is a lot of times when you're going to add other things like um, dry malt, right? Or specialty grains. Sometimes you'll steep specialty grains in a in a little muslin bag. Okay. Yes. Um, if that comes with the kit, some of them do, some of them do not. Right. You'll steep those grains in there for a little while, and that'll impart some flavors, in, into it.
0: The- let's color that in a little bit so sure. you have so you have your sugar filled chemical mm-hmm. you have the added flavors let's let's clarify that you have your added malt flavors that yes. you're going to uh, th- that's going to enter the liquid at the at the early stage of the boil at this point
1: usually before the boil right. if you're gonna add in like, um, dry malt extract or a specialty grain, you usually steep that at about 150, 155 degrees. Okay, all right. And you steep it just like you would a tea. Right. You know, you you, you put the bag in, you move it around a little bit, and, and that's it.
0: And you're imparting new flavors into the liquid mm-hmm. is what you're doing at this point.
1: New flavors and new characteristics, yeah.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. and next point is hops.
1: Right, so then you take out the bag, and one of the things that some of the kids say and some of them don't, if you're using specialty grains, do not squeeze them. As you're taking this the, the muslin bag, which is just cheesecloth, out of the liquid, let it drain out, but do not squeeze it. And then chuck it. Okay. Then you bring it up to a boil. And once it's up to a boil, then you got your boil
0: going. And then you're going to... Um, Sixty minutes is your typical boil. Typically, yeah. It's it's not uh, it's not universal, but it's but it's kind of the the midpoint or most commonly most commonly used one. So then you're going to follow your boil schedule, and you'll have then that'll come with your kit.
1: And usually, what'll also come with your kit is some packets of hops. So usually, what you'll have is you'll have a, a number. And once you get it up to a boil, you're going to have hops, and you're going to have either you're going to have both primary or bittering hops, and you're going to have secondary or or flavoring hops as well. So the primary and bittering hops are usually what you put in at the beginning of the boil, and then towards the middle or end of the boil is when you put in your flavoring hops.
0: And that's measured by what they refer to as alpha acids. Mm-hmm. Um, each hop is going to have a different alpha number. Mm-hmm. A different alpha alpha percentage and a different beta
1: percentage. And the, the higher the alpha percentage, the more likely it's going to be used as a bittering hop. There you go. And the lower the alpha percentage, the more likely it's going to be used as a flavoring hop. Right. Um, but basically, don't worry about that. What you're worrying about is just following the brew day schedule, and you don't have to understand every piece of it. Just... If if it says add the cascade at sixty minutes, add the cascade at sixty minutes, and by that you just mean chuck it in the pot. You're gonna get a reaction. Yep. You're gonna get you know it's gonna foam up. It's gonna look all fun and neat, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. <laughs> uh, and then later on you'll add in the um, the the flavoring hops if you have any. Uh, depending on what kind of I mean if you go with like say an IPA as your first one, you may be adding hops four or five times throughout the right throughout the boil right so then you know you get towards the end of the boil your boils done you, you kill the heat and then it's a matter of cooling the beer
0: right and at this point you have a very sensitive liquid yes and anything that touches it must be sanitized first and because it's post-boil, uh, your uh, sanitation and cleanliness becomes very, very important. Absolutely, right. What we usually recommend for people starting
1: out, and this takes a little bit, a little bit of time to do, fill up a sink or utility sink with ice, right, and an ice bath if you can, um, and to put your beer in. You want to make sure that no ice and no water enter your beer. Uh, from the outside. you right. just want to make sure that everything that's inside is just your beer right So cover it up with your with your lid if you can put it in the ice bath and let it set. Um, you will not be idle while you're doing this though because like Jason said, you have to sanitize everything from this point. So you're probably gonna have a well no you' not probably you're gonna have a fermenter. you're gonna have um, uh, probably a funnel and a siphon would be what we would recommend so then you want to s- sanitize all of that. There's a couple different ways you can do that you could do that with bleach you could do that with isosan you can do that with a number of one the one we really like is this um, stuff called star sand star sand is a you mix it with water and it's a no rinse solution
0: It's super easy, super wonderful to use. A couple things to remember about star sand. One of the great things about it is you add a very small amount to basically an empty gallon jug and then just add water. Right. And that's it. And the the technique for it is very simple. Once you have a clean surface, whether it be a bucket or carboy or pot or whatever it is that you're you're working with, uh, scrub it down, rinse it, add your star sand water, and just pour it out. Yeah, and then don't and then don't touch it. At the point that the star sand touches whatever material it is that you're cleaning, you now have a have a sanitized container. Yeah,
1: it needs it needs a couple seconds to you know kill everything, right?
0: Um, and especially
1: if you have like a bucket fermenter, I recommend grabbing a very clean, rinsed out. Um, try to get all the soap out of it. You can just a washcloth. And take that star sand water and wipe the sides of your fermenter with it. That's that's good. And, and just make sure that you, you're hitting all those surface, surfaces, especially if it's one you used before and it might be a little scratched. Um, wild yeast and germs and whatnot love to live in those scratches. So make sure you get the entire surface of the inside with that star sand.
0: One thing that's also important to note about that is it's going to leave over some uh, sanitized bubbles within the surface. It's important to not be afraid of those bubbles.
1: Oh yeah. Right.
0: There's a lot it's it's a it's a common misconception that at the point that you still have those bubbles, you need to add water and rinse it one more time. Well, the point that you add water to your your sanitized container or whatever surface it is you're cleaning, you're introducing new bacteria to it. Potentially, so, you've, yeah. so you've basically undone everything that you've done by adding the sanitized liquid from the star sand, which is why we're big fans of the star sand. Because the other ones,
1: like bleach and iso uh, iso sand, I think it's called, uh, you have to rinse those. You right. can't just do bleach and then pour beer in. I mean, that's not going to work. So <laughs> you have to rinse those out and everything. And in using tap water or distilled water or whatnot, you can really control that contamination especially after you've just bleached everything right but it's just so much easier and so much more likely to stay clean and sanitized using uh, a no rinse sanitizer like star sand right so that's that's what we use and and what we preach so back to the cooling back to the cooling so now we've left it in the ice bath for a while and it's cooled down to about 70
0: degrees which, with most recipes, will be what's referred to as. Where are you going? I'm going with yeast. Uh, yeast temperature. You're within the. Uh,
1: oh, oh, the yeast tolerance.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With uh, you're within uh, appropriate tolerance for whatever yeast it is that you're using. Right. So,
1: my recommendation, your first kit that you do, do not attempt to do a logger lagering oh, is that's
0: that's a whole different animal. It's a
1: whole different animal and re- requires stages of temperature when it comes to fermentation, its complexity you do not need right now. Right. So for an ale yeast, you're going to you're bringing it down to a safe temperature so when you throw the yeast in it doesn't immediately kill the yeast. So that's that temperature tolerance. Typically a yeast can survive and thrive between about 65 and, uh well actually closer to about
0: 60 degrees and to about 80 degrees and that temperature reading covers really uh, about a 5 to uh 5 to 7 day window for when yes. the yeast is going to be very active with the liquid that was th- that was just made um to color this in a little bit further at this stage what you still have is a liquid that's very dense and sugar filled mm mm-hmm. And what you're doing by adding the yeast is you're adding a live fungus. And the fungus's purpose in the liquid is to consume as much of that sugar as it possibly can. And it's going to do this for a period of five to seven days. Right. And the amount of sugar that 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 yeast ends up consuming is what makes up your alcohol by volume at the end. And that's where the gravity readings become so important because your original gravity... Uh, or OG as it's referred to is the reading of how much sugar is in your liquid originally. Mm -hmm. Your final gravity is how much sugar is left in the liquid after the yeast is all done with it.
1: Right, so before before we pitch the yeast though we have to get it into the container. So what we typically do is we take the cooled off wort we f- siphon it through, the, through uh, either a racking cane or I would recommend spending a couple extra bucks and getting yourself an auto siphon. Friggin' thing's a lifesaver. Oh, yeah. Uh, get yourself an auto siphon and siphon it out of your boil kettle through a funnel with a screen in it to capture the hops and into your fermenter. You have at this point about two and a half gallons of water. So you have to add water to it. Um, our recommendation: buy yourself some spring water and add it in until you have about five gallons of liquid. Then, with a sanitized spoon, stir your um, stir your work together. Okay. Okay. So that way, you can. And this is a trick that I did. I showed my brother-in-law when I was showing him how to brew. You can take your. After you've mixed all that together, you can take a hydrometer, you can sanitize it, and just spin it right in your fermenter. Yeah. And it'll bob up and down, and wherever it lands, that's where your original gravity is. Right. And I think we talked about that in the first episode, is how to read original gravity. Yes. Um, you have to break out your old, like, 10th grade science with the meniscus of the liquid and whatnot. <laughs> It, 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 you don't have to be super accurate with it, but it's. Uh, but you can you can read it there, and you can read what your original gravity is. You pull your, your uh, hydrometer out, put your lid over top of it. Oh, sorry. No, they have to pitch your yeast, don't you? So you take your yeast, which in an extract kit is usually dry yeast. Right. Usually, Safe Ale has a bunch of good, really good dry yeast that are used in extract kits, uh, there's a number of other ones, but so what they usually recommend is rehydrating that yeast. So after you transfer it over, you rehydrate your yeast. Just follow the directions on the packet. Take some warm water and a little bit of time. You'll rehydrate it, and it'll create this lovely, goopy, horrible-smelling slurry. <laughs> it's a fungus. It's- I mean, <laughs> I mean, at a basic level, that's what it is. It is. Um, and then you take that, dump that in the fermenter. And you seal that bugger up. Yep. If you have a clear fermenter, you'll be able to see through the course of a week a f- layer of foam growing on top of your... <laughs> growing makes it sound disgusting, but no. It's, <laughs> it's uh, being created on top of. And so that, that
0: that foam is the action of the fermentation, is is... And the that, carbon dioxide that's created by the action of the yeast swimming around and consuming all the sugar in the liquid. Absolutely. And those little buggers go nuts. That they do. So they,
1: they you create a layer of foam. If you don't have a clear container, what you'll see in about two days is your airlock that is connected to your um, fermenter will start bubbling furiously. Right. And that's that CO2 escaping after that slowed down and after, you know, once it's slowed down and stopped, basically, you let that sit for about a day or two more. And then you can take off the lid, um, check your final gravity, see if it's where you expect it to be. Then you can transfer it into a bottling bucket and bottle your, your uh, beer with usually with either some priming sugar in the bottling bucket, which is just corn sugar, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, or with carbonation tablets that you can put directly into the bottle once you do that you seal those bottles up you put them on the on a shelf and you let them sit for about a week or week or two weeks right At that point then they will be carbonated because what that corn sugar does in the bottling process there will be suspended yeast inside the liquid. You cannot get rid of it all. You'll see a a layer of yeast at the bottom that have settled out and have fallen to the bottom. But there's also suspended yeast that you won't be able to see. Right. Because little buggers are one celled So then they go with the liquid into the bottle, see this brand new corn sugar, or priming sugar as it's sometimes called, in there, and they start eating. But now that you've got a sealed bottle and a little bit of sugar for them to eat, they create that CO2. And with that CO2 having no place to go... Just gets absorbed by the liquid, and starts carbonating the liquid. And then when you went
0: go to open the bottle,
1: <laughs> ideally not champagne style, but yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sometimes it can't be helped. Sometimes
1: you, you're absolutely right, and we we've had a few uh, that we've made where they've had you know explosive reactions when we've opened them up and everything. Not. The bottle didn't explode, but the liquid definitely exploded out of it. You have the volcano effect from it,
0: yeah. exactly. So, um, which is kind of embarrassing when it happens, but yeah, it's one of those <laughs> things that does come with using, you know, a sugar-based substance as as your as your priming element. But it's definitely the place to start. Of it's, course, it it's, is. It's, it's much
1: more cost effective, and you don't want to break the bank for a for a hobby that you're not entirely sure you're going to you know latch onto right away. So, very true. Very true. Um, so yeah, so that's you know essentially
0: brewing to bottling. Let's throw out a, a, just a couple talk topics for discussion. What what did you not enjoy about the first days of brewing, just from the beginning of the process to the end? From, what
1: did I not enjoy, or what um, what did you
0: find frustrating or puzzling, or
1: what I found frustrating in the in the first kit I did with the lack of complexity. Okay. Which I know sounds weird, but basically it was, like I said, it was basically concentrated wort. And when it came out badly, my my first thought was, well, I, I must have screwed something up. But then after I thought about it for a while, I had no control over what I would actually create. And so that's when I, for my next kid, I started looking at, Something a little bit more complex, it had some more steps in it, so we could control that a little bit better
0: okay that that makes a lot of sense because there, yeah th- there's there's different layers of complexity to certain kits and some people do very well with A to Z directions and some some people prefer to have a little bit of ground where they can uh, modify and be somewhat creative with mm-hmm. with a project start to finish. What about you? Uh, what did I find? I, I, you know what? Being just the way I am, it just, it took me several, it took me several, uh, brew days before I totally understood the process. And that's just, I'll call it limitations of, of, of me is it, is it takes repetition for full understanding to set in. So I think the lesson from that is stick with it do multiple ones um what you don't understand continue with read research uh do more and, and just and, and what happens naturally is just gaps fill in as you do more mhm i think i think that's a i think that's a good takeaway for anybody so the other thing i would i would say is now
1: that you have a beer that's in a bottle you know drink it do whatever you want to do with it yeah um but save a few save a few and take and find yourself a homebrew club and take them i have been to half a dozen homebrew clubs um over the time that we've been doing this and i've taken beer and i've taken good beer i've taken bad beer i've taken you know anything you can you know think of in between not a single one of them has been mean about it, right? You will always, uh, if they're anything like the clubs I've been to, you will find a supportive atmosphere where, if what you're taking is not good, they will help you figure out why. If it if it's soured on you, then they're going to point to maybe a uh, uh, sanitation issue, um, or if it's too malty or too yeasty, or you have banana flavors or anything where they shouldn't be, they'll talk about. I yeast. remember
0: hearing one that was bubblegum. Bubblegum,
1: Bubble gum, exactly. <laughs> you're going to point at yeast fermentation temperatures and, and things like that. So they'll give you pointers. And as long as you're open to uh, some pointers and, honestly, a little bit of criticism, um, you're going to be able to make your product better and you're going to be able to make your, your hobby better. Plus... They get to try your beer. The flip side to that is you get to try theirs. Right. So you have like a dozen people there. You're trying three ounces of beer at a shot. You, you know, you get a little lit up. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> no, it, those those beers that don't come out as planned or as uh, as the style is supposed to be, those are those are great formats for, for learning. Yeah, And and a a brew club, like George was describing, is really the ideal atmosphere to really take in that knowledge. And not pointing to any clubs or or people or anything in particular, but there's really not a shortage of subpar beers at many beer clubs. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because if you're in an atmosphere where you can learn exactly what's causing those things— then you have an atmosphere to make better beer in the future, right? And that's important for everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean you're, it's going to range. You're gonna and you're going to get guys that go to the, the. There's some guys that have gone to uh, one of ours that we go to. That he's been doing extract kits for 10, 15 years, and that's all he wants to do. Right, and he's right. damn good at it, and he's learned how to modify those kits a little bit and, and create in, new and interesting flavors instead of just following the pre-subscribed. Uh, you know list of stuff he needs to do but he doesn't want to do all green he doesn't want to do you know more complex things he just wants to make good beer out of extract
0: right and then just just, you know he's he's had his he's got his platform to grow uh what he's doing Mm -hmm. and do it better and just do his thing yeah there's yeah there's Nothing negative to be said about that at all. No, yeah, we, we've we've obviously grown to the all grain platform, and we've gone to competitions. I I think competitions should be a should be a future episode as a as a topic for discussion. Sure. That there's a lot of lot to take away there, but um, yeah, th- th- there's no there's no one singular road to to doing this, but there's core fundamentals that uh, the the sooner that you learn them and kind of solidify solidify in your mind the, uh, those things then everything is going to be better start to finish from your recipe building to your brew day to the day that you open the bottle and have your first drink right
1: every brewer every home brewer starts with you know what i'm what i'm going to refer to as the gen eds you get you know you, you do your
0: i like that. you do the your gen
1: eds you know, your ex, your extract kits, you, you follow the directions precisely, you try to do everything perfectly, and then you pick your major. And you go out and you do whatever you want to do, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's the, where, like, the, the real fun, you know, not begins, but evolves, and, and, and you start to be get to, get to be a little bit more creative. I like that example a
0: lot. Well, there you have it, the Gen Eds, the Gen Eds are the first days of brewing. This is this is good stuff. No, I, I mean this is bringing a lot of uh, a lot of those first days back to me, and just the things that went well and the things that didn't, and really just uh, the things that we, you know the knowledge that we've grown. Just I mean, with every brew since that since that time, and it's really coming into focus for me now.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it starts out somewhat simple, uh, It gets more complex as you go, and you know that's kind of the way it should be. You know, don't don't go out and try to make you know. Write the great American novel of beer, you know. The first time out, you know, start out with C spot run, and go from there, you know.
0: <laughs> well done, well done. I hope this was uh, I hope this was valuable for everybody. And if you have any questions or have any uh, points you want to discuss, hit us up on our social media links. We're on Instagram at a nice place to brew, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter at nice place to brew. Um, we have a website as well as www.anniceplacetobrew.com uh george has done fantastic work as far as putting that uh that site together so check it out um we're we're certainly uh, certainly open uh to uh discuss whatever questions you may have or any any comments you may have for the show um also i'll, I'll throw out um our uh our uh, itunes page um if you want to f- uh, send us a review just check us out on itunes at a nice place to brew and uh, let us know what you think of the show what you like what you don't like and uh and uh yeah thanks as always thank you very much for uh, for listening uh we have a lot of fun doing this show and and we hope you you guys take away as much uh take away take away a lot from it god that last line sucked (laughs) (laughs) so anyway as always we
1: always like to end the show um usually with our own beer but we always like to end the show in the same way
0: it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer cheers